artistic director Gabriel Stelion Shanks. Welcome to the Drama League's Hashtag Collaboration, our digital video and podcast series where some of America's most influential artists sit down together to discuss the unique cooperation and teamwork that lies inside every great piece of theater, television, or film. Hashtag Collaboration reminds us that the magic we enjoy on our stages and screens always begins with great minds coming together around an idea. To watch more, you can visit dramaleague.org and click on Digital Series, or simply search for the Drama League wherever you find your podcasts. And now sit back and enjoy Hashtag Collaboration. Rock, rock, paper, scissor, shoot. Oh, I okay. Well, paper too. Okay. Okay. So, well, what sure. a fun way to introduce ourselves <laughs> to each other. Um, since scissors um, cuts paper, I'll guess get Michael Mayer, Jonathan Groff. My name is Christian Borrell. For anyone who might be watching this very private conversation, I just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> How are you guys doing? You want to just say your own name in case yeah. I got it wrong? Yes, uh, I'm Michael Mayer. I'm the director of The Little Shop of Horrors that we just uh, were working on this year, Delightful. which I miss terribly. I do too. Oh, me three. And I'm Jonathan and I played Seymour in The Little Shop of Horrors. You were wonderful. I played Oren at all. Yes, at all was like, I've never seen anyone play at all. <laughs> The way that you played at all. It's so subdued, cool. yes. Yeah, the subtle. Well, a lot of what I was able to accomplish was because of the collaboration that existed between <laughs> the three of us. It was very pleasant, wasn't it? It was a good collaboration. It was fun for me, I will say, uh, because I have uh, collaborated with both of you um, in prior times. So you want to mention what those projects were, just for the invisible listener? Sure. Well, the very Christian, I don't know if you remember this, but you uh, you were in Thoroughly Modern Millie. That I, I do remember. <laughs> the year was nineteen ninety-seven. I just gleaned. <laughs> that was our first collaboration, it and was. then we we I, I, we've done at least one other one reading between that and then um, when we did Smash together. And Smash, yes, that's right. Um, and then Jonathan and I, uh, we did Spring Awakening way back when. Um, and then we did The Jamboree <laughs> at Encores Off Center. Yes, yes. You and Sutton Foster. Yes. She's kind of, she's kind of the, the, the other person in this conversation. Yes, she always is. <laughs> she always is. <laughs> it always comes back to Sutton. <laughs> But actually, Sutton, you know, she was a, a, a big supporter of Spring Awakenings. I believe she was Spring Awakening. She was one of the uh, investors, I believe. She was. She she came to see the show at the uh, at at uh, the Atlantic. I remember. And with Christian Borrell. That's yes. right. And, and, and the show, we realized it, and we realized as we sat there that we were witnessing an incredible collaboration between all of you, because you don't create a piece of theater like that without that type of communication. Can you talk a little bit about when you two first realized during that process mm -hmm. that you were clicking and understanding each other? Because you were obviously all on the same page. Me and Jonathan, specifically yes. to the two of us? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I wonder if we feel like it's the same 
time, there were two times that, like two very specific moments, right, Jonathan, that I feel like we sort of went to new levels of, of uh, communication. I can't wait to hear what your two are. Well, mine too, I'm sure they're the same as yours. One was at, uh, at the callback. When I sat, when I actually, we had a work session. Yes. Everyone take your shirts off. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, that's what I do. That, that was one. Um, and then the, it was, and then the other one was deep in, I think we were well into rehearsal, possibly even in tech at some point. And I really was trying to get you to uh, tap into your anger remember that do you want to tell that story Michael well you could tell it if you want I want to hear your version of it well, I don't remember all the details but I remember at a certain point and it, it involves it doesn't involve Sutton but it does involve Leah Michelle who was a source of you know a great deal of um, I'd say uh, of intense conversation because your scenes were so complicated with her um but i remember at one point i was i was like what you because you're such christian i don't know if you know this about jonathan but he's uh, got a very sweet disposition mm. generally he's like a very kind yeah. and sweet yeah. kind of person so uh, it was and i was just getting to know him really and the character that he was playing uh is really kind of is full of um, rage and righteous indignation, and we were trying to get that get him to tap into something there. And I was like, and like something's got to make you angry. What makes you angry? Um, and you, he said, you do. <laughs> Um, and I think it was because I had just, I think I had been very like tough with Leah on, on another scene. The whole, it was not an easy show to do, but I was pretty tough with her. And I think Jonathan, um, in a mode of really coming to her defense in a way, uh, was genuinely pissed off at me. And so, but we got there um, and suddenly the scene kind of, uh, took off in a great way. And I feel like that cemented some kind of uh, great trust between us because it's you could felt free to say what, what you felt. Yeah, it's so funny because I feel like collaboration in that regard, is, there's such a level of safety that needs to be there. You, you create, you cre I feel like as I'm hearing you talk too, I, I feel like everything I first learned about collaboration in every sense is from you, Michael, mm -hmm. because watching you put together the show of Spring Awakening and watching you pull the best out of every cast member, watching you pull the best out of Steven and Duncan and Bill T. Jones and, and be present for the sort of thing that happens in the middle of two creative people coming together that they couldn't possibly do by themselves. I feel like I witnessed firsthand at a young age, at 20, 20, 20 years old actually, at 20 years old with you when we were developing that show. And you also created this environment where, because collaboration is also messy and there's the potential for people's feelings to get hurt. 
And sometimes in that heat and in that uncomfortable place or in that inappropriate is the wrong word, but I would just say like unfiltered emotional place and direct place is where really exciting things happen. Mm -hmm. And you were pushing me and I felt safe enough to let something out of myself. And then I remember, and I don't, I don't know if you remember this part, but then the next day you came up to me the first day of rehearsal and you were like, I'm sorry if I ever, you know, if you are angry with me for disrespecting or being hard, you know, it's all out of the intent. You know, they're like a family, we took care of each other where it was mm. like explosions and then, but there was real, real trust and, uh, commitment to making something great like the collaboration was about the bigger thing it was never about anybody's personal uh, agenda and therefore nothing was personal it was all for the sort of greater service of the piece oh good well i'm glad i apologized <laughs> i'd hate to be a complete asshole that would be <laughs> michael you don't strike me as someone who's a manipulator in that way is it all just instinct for you or are you just riding the wave of what's happening in the rooms that's the most pretentious thing i've said all day and it won't be the last <laughs> Good, though i like it yeah. i uh, you know what i i do think i'm i i don't think i'm a manipulator i certainly don't try to be and i don't think that way and i'm I try, I do try to ride the room and I just, I always try to make a space. Can't say that anymore. Yeah. I don't feel safe. <laughs> ride the room. Ride that room. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, we got off the rails, but yes. So you just kind of are uh, work instinctively in that way. Yes, that's correct. I do, you know, I think about what all the pieces are going to be and I have a, and I have like some intuition about how it might work, but you never know till you're in it. And then I try to be really available to what actually is actually really happening and see how I can help guide, guide everyone towards. How have your relationship with actors changed over time in terms of collaboration? Because actors are funny yeah. in every sense of the word. Actors can be like just little, What's the, how do we describe actors? Like puppies sometimes, you know what I mean? And they can be petulant and emotional and insecure, but also, you know, sometimes glorious and fun and gorgeous. And so how do you cope with, and, and it's different for every project, obviously, yeah. over the years, the mer mercurial aspect of things. It's a, I think that's actually an incredibly good question. And I think that, um, <laughs> I think I changed a lot. When I was a young director, just starting out, I felt like it was my, my job was to sort of sculpt every single moment and sort of, and have some kind of really like specific vision for every beat mm. of the show and, and really mold and force and do anything in my power to try to get the performance where I saw it in my head or where I heard it in my ear. Um, and as I think as I've grown to understand how things work and how I work best and how to get the best out of a huge range of actors who come from different training backgrounds and have different instincts and different you know, different instruments. Uh, 
I am much more inclined to see what they're bringing to the table and allowing that and allowing my the information I have about them ahead of time in, obviously, and I still have an idea of how a scene should go, but I'm much more interested in in seeing what what's there, what they're bringing, and playing playing with that. So it's I've relaxed, I think, a lot since. But it was a long, you know, I'm old. It was a long time ago when I started doing this. What do you feel like was the shift? Like, what made you shift? Was it a thing, or was it just over the course of time? It was over the course of time. You start things become less course of time. precious, you know. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. You the this pressure to sort of deliver something finished, and I feel like you know theater is so wonder. I mean, I just love coming to our show. You know, I love being there, even if I if I can't stay the whole time. Anything I see, I know something will be different and fun and surprising um, because there's that freedom to play within the the structure that exists. So I'm just I've, I've just grown more and more fond of the mercurial nature of the beast. Mm. Which, but let's talk a little bit about our little shop process. Because um, it was very free. I remember when we bounced around in all those different rehearsal rooms, which I think actually served the final show. Weirdly, it did. That was so crazy. That yeah. first day oh, in that little room. The meet we were all like, what the hell are we going to do this show? <laughs> I just got anxiety anyway, and I get a little claustrophobic. So that meet and greet was <laughs> basically like a hallway of a rehearsal room. <laughs> And the carbs were flowing. Oh my God. <laughs> Tammy and her sunglasses. Oh. It was but an intense day. We, I would call that one of the giddiest rehearsal processes I've ever had in my life. Oh, for sure. I think that- Very hands off. It was ju just the right amount of gas in terms of like, I remember doing the dentist stuff with the chair. And I would, you know, for me, if I may, uh, in the rehearsal room, I like to throw a lot of stuff out there, mostly just yeah. to make people laugh in the rehearsal room. And uh -huh. sometimes rehearsal room laughs actually become the real thing. Right. Most of the time they don't, and it's your job to kind of say like, maybe not that one, maybe that right. one. But I remember like throwing five or six things in, into the dentist scene. And at the end of the rehearsal day, you were just like, here are five things that I think you should think about keeping. Right. But it was never like it had to be here, it had to be that, or just like a gentle guideline. It was so nice to be trusted in that way. Well, you're, you know, you're very trustworthy. That's nice. You know, no, I mean, I'm, when you called, I mean, I would say that this cast came together in the most, you know, fortuitous way. Like, the, to have Christian Borle call and say, can I be your dentist? Like, that's like a dream come true for a director. Ask anyone. I'm not alone in this. This is, it's like, that's the greatest gift. Like, that's 99.9% .9 of my job. Um, and you did it for me, you know? So it was, it was a pleasure. And I feel like with this show, one of the things, and I've talked about this a little bit, and we've all discussed it too, um, that there's something about the way the show was originally made and what Howard did with Alan and, and the, 
the spirit of this particular piece really, I think, brings out the best in everyone working on it because it reminds us all of whatever the impulse was for us at whatever age to put on a play. And so I felt like, I hadn't felt this in years, the delirium, the unfettered joy of just putting on a play. I felt like we were all 14 years old in the best sense, you know? Um, not, in the, not in the pimply, anxious, stinky, horrible, teenage way, but you know what I mean. Some of us still don't wear deodorant. It, it offered unto me and Jonathan one of the giddiest, most euphoric moments I've ever had on a stage ever. And it was because of what we all built together, because of the show itself, because of the West Side Theater with 270 seats and the spirit that the audience brought into it, that it was a special small occasion. Um, we were on stage together. You weren't there, Michael, mercifully, but I know you heard about it, and I'm so sorry about the show report. But um, I'm sorry I missed it. <laughs> I think, Jonathan, do you want to talk about just for a second? You know what I'm talking about in the flower shop. Just yeah. see more, because you did it. You're responsible for it. We had well, it was this. It was this, uh, and, and like you said, there was this sort of joyful giddiness throughout the whole course of the rehearsal process. There was no BS. There was no egocentric weirdness in the room. It really felt like very joyful the whole time. And we couldn't believe how joyful it kept feeling. Like when we went into the dressing room, we were like, whoa, this is like the water coming through the thing. And it was exciting or the spiral, the creaky spiral staircase up to the stage and how small it was. And everything kept delighting us more and more. And everyone got on board in that way. Yes. And then Christian, it, like, I have so many questions for you too, like backlog that maybe we won't even have time to fit into this thing about like, because you were saying, you know, I threw out five things in the dentist scene, but actually you threw out like 500 things in every scene at every turn. There was always like, you were just always invent, you were so inventing, you were just inventing at all times, which kept everybody on edge and sort of like waiting to see like the next thing that you were gonna do. And then it created this dynamic between the two of us where I would just always like laugh at you or, I, or there was like this like twinkle, I can only describe it as like a really tight rectum, uh, <laughs> For like two and a half hours. Your upstage half smile. Yes, yes. Christian would call it like my stroke face because he would start to make me laugh. And if I was, if this was the audience, I would just go like, <laughs> because I would start to laugh, but I would try to only laugh with the upstage side of the face. Very effective. They didn't notice at all. <laughs> and it was this weird balance because we were also, and Michael, I think you'll agree too, it's like, we were very serious about doing it. It wasn't just like a laugh. Um, Jonathan, I was telling you the story of my revelation on Spamalot when I was doing a scene with Hank Azaria and David Hyde Pierce, the bring out your dead scene. And it was, um, it taught me so much about comedy. They were letting the audience laugh until the audience stopped laughing. And it confused me as a young comic actor because my instinct from early on was to kind of like jump on the end of the laugh and keep the scene driving. But they would just let the audience laugh until they stopped laughing. Mm -hmm. 
And then the audience could hear the next line. And I told you this story. And I was like, don't be afraid to, if I may, because um, you were 20 when you did Spring Awakening, but now you're 24. So you've learned, but you're still green. And so I was just like, please, you know, let's experiment with letting the audience laugh themselves out. And we stood there. I did my shtick where I pointed the clock and we're standing there. I'm in my ridiculous pompadour and you're standing there with your glasses and your cap and you just wouldn't go. We stood there staring at each other. They laughed and they laughed out. And then you just wouldn't go. I was waiting for you to say your line. And you took the notes to such an extreme that you utterly broke me. I just, and we had a moment, and the audience was there on the same page, where I've never broken so drastically. We were laughing at each other and looking at what we were wearing and like realizing that the was there. And it just wouldn't, I couldn't get back. I've never had that moment on stage before. Oh it my was, God, I'm sweating. sweating. Right, now. right back into it. And it was a moment that came and went. Mm -hmm. And so not to get too like topical about it, but it's moments like that that make theater theater. Is that you're all in this unique mm -hmm. evening together. The audience is there on one side, you're here on the other. And, uh, you know, I know that we're all thinking about experimenting with what do we do with this? Right. Um, but unless you get that juice from the audience, um, that metaphorical juice, please don't leave juice at the stage door. Jonathan distributes plenty of juice. Oh, no, they're going to put it like, right over the... I, I think my career in theater is over. I was just going to say, for a while anyway, you're, you're a dangerous... You know, totally, totally. Weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> totally. Oh my There's God. There's people in the front row who would just lift their, their playbills. <laughs> Jonathan yeah. said one night when he was walking downstage, they said, oh, here he comes. <laughs> hiding. They were so scared that like, even I would walk to do the stage to do the scene stage right with Tammy before suddenly Seymour, and they would just be like, oh! <laughs> and we were just talking. <laughs> but you, you came to terms with that, and you finally just said, because you were feeling self-conscious about that for a while, right? And then you just said. I had always, um, I've always spit. I can't, I, I've never been able to contain myself. I get, when I eat, well, anyway, I get very wet on stage. <laughs> I get very, well, I was going to describe the, what the times of my life when I get wet, but I'll just I keep I think we can imagine that. I can imagine, yeah. Uh, and I get very, like, I salivate. I just salivate and I sweat. And, but that the West Side, it was the, the theater was so small that it was the first time I could see people's faces in disgust <laughs> as I spit upon them. And it did make me feel really self-conscious. And then about a month and a half in, I just released it and thought this is what's happening you guys I'm but Kristen, i remember that moment and that that like what you did I, and i want to talk too about our collaboration where there was this there was this sort of i've never experienced it before in anything else this sort of open dialogue between everyone about ideas thoughts sharing information uh mm -hmm. i feel oftentimes when when uh, when you work at a like at a level of the people in theater in new york there's this competitive 
nature and there's this sort of protection I've, you know, where I work with people that they do their process, they come into the rehearsal room, they do their pre-planned thing and then they leave and the whole rehearsal process is sort of self-protective right. and it's not shared and there aren't ideas exchanged. And that thing that, that you know, we were going to do all these comedic scenes together and I was open to learning as much from you as I possibly could. And you were open to sharing. And that thing that you said about let's wait until the audience stops laughing before we say the next line was like, it's something I'm going to take with me for the rest of my life. And, and that, and then also created such electricity between us because then, and I don't know if you intended this or not, it, it, it made us listen together to the audience as opposed to listen alone to the audience. For our thing that just landed or didn't land. And that yes. Thing. Yes. So then we were in conversation, the three of us, the audience and you and I, as opposed to one person thinking about coming in on their thing. It was really, it was really a group effort. All those, those scenes became such an exchange of energy, like a three-way exchange as opposed to a two-way exchange. And this is gonna sound like I'm joking, but the fourth person in that is Michael and Michael's sense of taste. And I think we all had in the back of our mind what, as you handed the show over to us, Michael, as we started like doing the run, in this kind of hexapoppin atmosphere, we were, I think, as you mentioned, Jonathan, pretty focused on doing the show that we all cared about and wanted to do. And it was because of, Michael, your sense of taste. Can you talk about, do you, is there a moment for you in any of your like former collaborations when you realized that you had a very specific sense of taste? Who did you um, learn from? Who did you admire? Who, does anybody else have a, you know, because taste is all obviously subjective, but. It is, it is subjective. I also feel like every show has its own sort of metric. Mm -hmm. of what is appropriate where you know where where is the line that you can't you dare not cross before you start to um sort of disrespect the characters or the scene and i think that's always just been my just my thinking i think honestly who i learned that most from you and this might be a little surprising um is uh, tony kushner from working with him from when we were in grad school together and then acting in plays that he was directing and then directing plays that he had written um, mm -hmm. throughout when I really learned the difference between the laugh that serves the scene and, and the characters and takes the play forward and helps propel it and those laughs that are that you never recover from yep. mm. you've, you've just the re, you've disrespected mm. the reality of it and so and that's always the amazing. audience too they start to just completely oh yeah yeah you, they're these cheap laughs that you can get and yeah you can make them laugh it doesn't take much to get an audience to laugh in 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 a way, it's it's kind of it's pretty easy because they they're there usually to be entertained. Um, but if it's they, a little tipsy, <laughs> right? But you know, there's the wrong kind of laugh, and there's the laugh that is mm. cheap, and then you pay for it later because what happens is you stop caring. The audience stops actually investing mm. in the characters and in the scene, and so the beautiful 
balance, I think, that you two and, and the whole cast really found in Little Shop. Um, and I'll take the just, uh, I'll take the only, the credit I'll take is by just, as you say, giving, letting you have the show and trusting you with it. Um, and trusting that you sort of knew where those boundaries were based on the rehearsal process. But you guys all, I, I don't remember it ever really tipping over. Even that, I'm, I, I feel quite certain that even that performance, when you guys both broke, I would put money on it that they were still completely with you when you came back um, into the scene. I have no doubt about it. I have complete confidence and trust in both of you that you would well, never, that you wouldn't well, file that. Soon after that is, you know, Tammy comes out of the back and you abuse her, you know, and that is that was always, I mean, including the performance where we broke right before that and then other performances where we didn't, that was never a joke. And that always, as directed and as performed by you, and it, and it, always sent a chill through the crowd in the most effective in the most effective way when it and it needed to because that is the moment that convinces seymour to become a murderer mm -hmm. and without that if without us really understanding that then the rest of the show then then we're lost totally. we, we've lost it so it was it's important i miss it i remember there were moments like when I would have little uh, thank you, Michael moments, like, because it's also the tone of, of Little Shop, too, is that just when it's funny, it's serious, and just when it's serious, it's funny. It's so disarming, where you think it's a joke, and then it's the quite profound, the, the, the entire message of the show, even. Uh, it seems like it's all for laughs until it, it seems the complete opposite. And I remember the like nuzzling the lid of the trash can, like just when it gets into like a sap, potentially sappy moment. Mm -hmm. And then you had told me to do that and then it gets a laugh and all the kind of like, or the reverse of that where, you know, Christian, when you would come out at the end and you've come out as all these hilarious characters and then you come in and you kneel down on the ground and do that little speech to me that's actually kind of chilling and scary. And then you come back in and pick up the, the knife that, or the machete that's been thrown out and get it, like that sort of tightrope walk of, I feel that I feel like is in the writing of the show, mm -hmm. but was extracted in a very specific Michael way where I would always, I would think of you every night in, in very specific moments. Well, Michael, who was the movie star that you told me to look at for Patrick Martin? Oh. He's doing like a very like, more, and then you were like, but there's also this version of that guy. Oh my put it over God. The Who was that? I remember this now. Um, think about it. I will think about it. It's, um, it's right on the tip of my tongue. Um, he had this dry, chilling, glazed delivery. In the it 50s. was... Wasn't George Sanders? I want to say George Sanders, and it wasn't George Sanders. Um, fudge. Remember. All right, we'll come back to it. I do remember telling Jonathan to look at Lana Turner. Yes. Postman always rings twice when he starts to lie. Yes. And that was such a surprising. I would have never thought to play it that way. 
because it's it seems like you know get into the get into the plant you know he's made the decision to kill mr music but then all of a sudden it was this psychotic turn that was lana turner that you told me about and i watched it and i was like oh my god that's so much <laughs> christian was it was it um was it what's his head from um from laura i don't know he played waldo Lidecker. um yeah. it, uh What's his name? No, it is lost to time, unfortunately. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Whatever the essence was, you took it and played it, so it worked. Yeah. I still, yeah, every now and then I'll hear it. And when we're, do, I feel like the show is still running because uh, I was like, and when I go and see it, but when I would go and see it, um, every now and then there were little things from rehearsal, Christian, that you had done that ever, they'll, little things, every now and then they'll come back for, for a performance or two and then go away again and I'm always like hoping that I that I see them but I don't want to ask for them because I don't want it to be that locked in so it's always delightful when they little like uh odd <laughs> little little under two that happened very early in the rehearsal process yeah but every now and then you'll bring that little thing back and it'll be so I'll be so tickled by that yeah, what I was the exit line? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Audrey too. I really do forget. Um, I feel guilty sometimes that, you know, the rehearsal room um, that we created was so full of um, spontaneity and just choices. Of Everyone felt very free to, to make choices. But then at some point, you do have to lock stuff in. Yeah. And I think some nights during the run, I would do, be doing my, like, gas shtick mm -hmm. and just thinking about people in the dressing room, because now that it's locked in, like eight shows a week, sometimes it's basically gonna be exactly the same as it was yesterday. Right. And I grapple with, you know, like just doing my job, but also thinking about people in the dressing room, like, and there's that sound. Oh, oh, and I wonder if he'll make that sound, yeah. Yep. <laughs> but the... <laughs> Yes, I know. I know. That's also not to bring it, not to be too. That's part of the collaboration that we all agree to is that we all just kind of like we have to be gentle with each other in a run in that way of yep. like that's how you're going to maintain and it's excellent. And I know that I've seen that choice a thousand times, but mm. we all did a good job of keeping it pretty fresh. It felt fresh for sure. Even even if it was exactly certain things got hit exactly the same way. Yeah. But uh, not to get too like not to get into any kind of gossip and certainly not to kind of tear anyone down. Uh -huh. Can you think of in your experience, either of you, what is the ingredient that spoils a collaboration? Well, I've had if you're giving warnings or giving a word of advice to students or people who are coming up in this business, what is the thing that can sour a collaboration real fast? I think uh, ego, like egotism, when, um, when anyone, any of the collaborators start to feel that what they're doing is somehow more significant than the show, mm -hmm. anything, when it's like, I've, I've done, I've did a show where um, the, the core, there was some choreography that I felt was very much like, look at this, look at me, look at me, look at me, choreographer. 
that not in Little Shop at all, but in a in another show. And I remember thinking, God, we really that's wrong. We're we're not we're not in the in the show now. We're we're watching you show off as a choreographer. That that's just an example of something that I've I've seen. And and when and when that person, the collaborator, whether it's the actor, whether it's a writer being overly, you know, show-offy about the writing that doesn't sound like the character suddenly. I've seen that happen before. So it's not just in the rehearsal room, but it's also sometimes it's in the creative team as well. Um, if there isn't like a gracious, like, oh, right, okay, and pulling back, that can, it can be poisonous. And that's really bad. There's a selfish kind of thing that I think that is, it's tempting for, especially for stars who show up and, and when the show starts to feel like a vehicle for a star and it everything is about feeding that sense of stardom. Yeah. And it's that ego thing. I think that's real, that is the only thing I think actually that 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 destroys a collaboration. Ego. Yeah, and it manifests in lots of different ways, but I think being late mm -hmm. is like disgusting to me. Mm -hmm. Like not like being late for a half hour, Jonathan, being like not showing up for rehearsal. You know what I mean? Because what that means is that you're what you're prioritizing your own personal life over uh, over everyone else, like show up, no, you know, be prepared. Um, yeah, it's not that hard to add 15, 20 minutes if you have, if you know you have to go to Pret. Remember when we could just go to Pret, but yeah. it's not that hard. I feel it's like that's an intervention. No, Jonathan, I will say this about, you know, for, for anyone who might be watching this, um, the joke around the West Side Theater was that Jonathan would almost be late for half hour, but in your defense, you would be there, you would just be very graciously giving your time to someone who you were talking to. Exactly. You wouldn't yeah. use yourself to be like, I've got to go sign in. You would be giving of your time. It was always a very sweet yeah, reason. Exactly. But I'm talking, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about people who are late to rehearsals, who don't show up, who aren't prepared. People who think that it, it, it's an expression to me of egotism because they're prioritizing their own personal, whatever it is, their needs above the needs of the show. The lack of preparation is for me one of the things that I just can never, ever get over because you have complete and utter control over it. It's one of the only things that you have control over is right. spending however much time you need to come in the next day and not be the person that people are like, okay, so I guess we're just going to, you, know, you need to do it again. You know it? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, pace in your kitchen for a half an hour the night before. That's exactly right. So that's like a pet peeve that I have. And I feel like it, it just, it's demoralizing to everyone and it's disrespectful to the people who are really busting their asses and really working in good faith and with, you know, respect for everyone else. So. I have a real bugaboo about people who take themselves very, very seriously.
who don't have a sense of humor about themselves. I realize that if I'm ever kind of like a little snarky or like talking to friends or in the dressing room and you have that very special like protective bubble where you feel like you can talk about anything and like it's usually done with love and sometimes it gets a little catty because we're only human. But the people that I tend to kind of like get catty about are people who don't have like a sense of humor about themselves. Right. We all have an ego. An ego is required on some level to get ahead in this business, to know what you're doing, to feel confident, to put down mm -hmm. away. But you also have to not take yourselves yourself that seriously. And when but I do you see think that, but like, is that like a is that is that just a character logical thing? I mean, do you think people are just born that way? Maybe or brought up that way, or is it a defense mechanism? I mean, you can always explain it away. Like to me, when, in, in my adult life, ugh, the. I, d I don't care about people's excuses for bad behavior. Mm -hmm. All I can look at is the bad behavior because everyone's got a reason for it. You yeah, know, what I mean? of course yeah. you can explain it away. Like, oh, that makes sense. You're still acting like a douche. Right. <laughs> yeah, I get it completely. Yeah, and it's it's I'm, a drag. Jonathan, you, you seem like you can pretty much get along with slash collaborate with anyone. What makes you say that? Well, your like innate sense of like graciousness and you're very, um, you're comfortable in your own skin. I think you have a very great sense of like this too shall pass. If you're stuck in a situation that you'd rather not be in, you're incredibly patient. Um, I don't know, you're nicer than the rest of us. <laughs> very nice. I, I, I feel like for me, I do my best when there's somebody, like, someone with vision running the room. That, to me, I feel like is, I feel, I feel like if I believe in the material and I believe in whoever is leading the charge, then I, I almost, like, lose, I, like, my, my favorite version of collaboration is losing myself. Mm-hmm. Is, is like com feeling completely outside of anything I could imagine on my own. But I, th yeah, so I, I guess like, I'm, I'm, but I feel like I'm not good in a collaboration of like, I felt that I felt so safe in the Little Shop collaboration because I felt surrounded by geniuses and working on genius material. And so I think that that allows generosity to come out of myself because I felt humbled in the room and I felt, I felt humbled by the people in the room and humbled by the material that we were working on. Have you, um, with, and not naming anything obviously, but what do you do when you, are, when you are in a situation, let's say it's not genius material and let's say it's not uh, and let's say there is no vision that, or that, or, or that's discernible, or that that is vision that you really get behind. Um, what do you? How do you? How do you deal with that? That to me is when it starts to. That's when it feels. It depends on the specific scenario. I don't want to throw. Think it. of one. Don't say what it is. Think of a scenario that that you've had. Okay. And describe how you dealt with it. Deep breaths. I'm thinking of a specific scenario with 
a director that had no idea what they were doing. And so the entire ship, so it, it went, to, it goes top down and everyone was sort of scrambling for their own, to, to pres for their own life preservers. And so in that particular scenario, I journaled a lot when I would come home from work. I never would talk about, there was also things exploding all around. I think when that happens, it's like the leader is a mess and then all of a sudden people start fighting or gossiping or explosions are happening. So I sort of just didn't, I didn't bring, I didn't contribute to the drama. I would journal when I came home, took deep breaths and tried every day when I went to work to think of one thing that I really loved about some particular thing in whatever scene it was or whatever, you know, I just really tried to, it was hard, but I just, it was almost like a medit, almost like a meditation. I just tried to sort of be on my own island, focus on the thing that I liked and vent about it to myself in a journal when I got home. Mm. And I moved through, and then it's over, and now it's a now it's a memory. And in the moment of it, it felt like hard. It just felt hard. Mm. In the grand scheme of things, like who, especially in now, nothing seems hard. Uh, and in the grand scheme of things, then it's just like perspective. But when you're in an artistic world, you you do feel like that is your entire world. So yeah. trying to just lean into the one thing that I liked every day, and then express it when I got home and release it was how I tried to get through that. It's like Karen said in Smash season one, Dev, I'm in tech, you know? <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, it was a very, very tricky, uh, tricky world we were in. And it was new to both of us. TV was a new thing to both you and me. We were truly insulated. So we were able to just kind of like be in love with each other and have a great time and enjoy the ride. It was such a great ride. It was a great gift you gave me. I remember that final like screen test coming out of the room with Deborah and picking a shirt and her being so sweet. We hit it off immediately. I know. I said, do you remember what I said to you? No, which is that? Um, I said, because you were doing another show. Mm -hmm. We didn't know if you were going to be available. Mm -hmm. And I knew you'd be brilliant in that role. No, I knew it. And you walked in and I said, you know, you did the thing. And I said, do not break our hearts now. Because mm -hmm. I knew, I knew Deborah loved you. I knew Teresa loved you. I, I already loved you. Um, and so it was, that was my like, only fear, was that you wouldn't, wouldn't be able to get out of that show uh, in time. Well, it all worked out. I loved it so much. And I will say this, you know, getting, like, talking about like, TV, there's something very special about theater people. We all know it. I think the world now knows it, in a way. Anytime that I've kind of glanced near television stuff, Mm -hmm. People who primarily do television are always blown away by the work ethic of people who work in the theater. Mm -hmm. Primarily come in prepared, and the ego is a very different situation. There's gratitude when you get to like, when someone brings you like a bowl of ragu, and you're like, what? Oh my God. <laughs> this looks amazing. And there's a bunch later. <laughs> so like pathetically like, I love you. And I can also have these crackers. We're so grateful. But it's true, people have a different type of heart and a different appreciation when things are going well. And you know, then when things go not so well, 
it's like petulant and but all right well thank you for giving us this opportunity it's been nice to catch up yeah it thank sounds you. Nice. It was um, great to see away. you both so much. I miss you too. Um, there, I know that I don't want to say anything, but I know that there are things like specific things that I can't wait to work with you guys in the future together and separately. So, Agreed. Um, yes. About that in the All of us together, in, individually, in pairs. And isn't that the ultimate, I think, goal of good collaboration is wanting more? Yes. Yep. Ah, oh, totally. And totally. that's how, and that is, you know, people talk about the theater community. That is the theater community, right? It's you have these relationships and you, then you add more people to them. And now, like we have, a, we have a thing now, the three of us have a very strong bond that, that we each had individually, but now this is our little, this is a little, you know, nuclear family here and we can keep adding to it. I love it, and thank you for that. Yeah, thank God, you. Thank you, God, thank you so much for that. I love you both. I want to get back to it. Love you. Love you. Stay safe. Be safe. Yeah. Did you just say I got to get back to work? <laughs> no. All right, I got to get back to it. <laughs> I want to, you guys, this has been wonderful. A five, six, five. seven, eight. Oh. <laughs>